0: Isaiah 53. Beloved, turn again to Isaiah 53. If it comes to mind, remember to pray for Mr. Chris Barnes as well. He's in Calgary, ministering to that congregation this Lord's Day and next Lord's Day as well. Continue to pray for that congregation its need for a minister as if 53. Read from verse 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity. Of us all. Amen. Once again, we'll end the reading at the close of the sixth verse of this chapter. Let's pray once again, beloved, and ask for the Lord's help. This is familiar, I know, many of you, the very text that we're going to look at tonight, you know off by heart. And oh, how we desire God to speak through this familiar portion, Lord speak, speak to thy servants, speak to those gathered, is not thy word like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces, is it not likened to a fire or a two-edged sword, these things can be mighty and devastating Thy word is likened unto them as it faces the stubborn hearts of men. So, not just here, but remember other churches in our city doing even what we are doing right now, where the word is being preached. Bless the faithful preaching of thy word. And across our nation, our sister congregations, our missionaries, our lay preachers, even like our brother Barnes. We ask, Lord, that Thou wilt favor Thy church so that the means of grace become mighty in the hand of God. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, yet they are mighty through God. Oh, that we would believe in the power of thy word. Again, we desire, quicken us. And should there be any here without Christ, save them, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I often try to address you, boys and girls, try to speak to you, because it is my desire that little bit of distraction, but boys and girls, I'm talking to you, pay attention. It is my desire that you hear what I have to say when it comes to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing more important than that you be saved, that you know that you're saved, that you're in Christ, that your sins are forgiven, and that you have rested entirely in the Lord Jesus, for the salvation of your soul. The text that we're coming to tonight, verse 6 of Isaiah 53, probably you know by heart, certainly a number of you will. You'll know Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. But I want you to think about what that verse is saying to you. What is it saying to you? How does it apply to you? There was a time in all of our lives where we looked at a verse like that and we realized it was addressing us, your parents, and most if not all the parents here tonight have had that personal experience with the Bible, with God's Word, where they realized something that they knew was personal to them. It was now being addressed personally to their hearts that they needed to believe what it was saying. And that what it was addressing, and the truth it was addressing, was not just something for them to know, like pieces of information for a test or an exam, something for them to know personally. This is addressing me. It is something to say to me. Isaiah 53 verse 6 has something to say to all the boys and girls, and indeed every one of us here tonight. It is something very personal to say to us. I want us to understand it because what it does is it helps us understand ourselves. It helps us give some consideration to who am I? What, what's right with me or, or what's wrong with me? It gives answer to questions like that. Why is it that I need to be saved? Why is it that I need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Why is it that I need my sins forgiven? What, what is this problem that Jesus has come to address, why is it that God took on flesh and came into this world? Why? Why is that relevant to me? So, boys and girls, that's the question you need to be asking, like, what is this saying to me? How does this relate to me? Your parents, those who are Christian, who know the Lord, they've come to realize that that this text addresses something about their nature, the problem they have that they can't get away from, that they can't fix themselves, and they've gone to Jesus Christ for, for the medicine, for the remedy, for the answer. So as we look at it, and I'm looking at it very simply, I want you to follow all of us to be able to follow what Isaiah 53 verse 6 is saying. And I've titled the message simply, Christ, the answer for straying sheep, the answer for straying sheep. And in this text, you will note a number of things. First of all, the universal nature of sinners. The universal nature of sinners. The text tells us something about man, humanity. All we like sheep have gone astray. All we like sheep have gone astray. Now, the Bible doesn't always speak negatively or use sheep in a negative way. Way. Sometimes it's not necessarily negative, it's just some characteristic that the Lord is drawing out that, like I say, is not intended to be negative. For example, when the Lord Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 10 16, Behold, I send you forth a sheep in the midst of wolves. It's not intending that to be negative. It's a recognition of their vulnerability, but it's not really making it out to be something negative that they needed to be ashamed of. It was just the reality. They were vulnerable in the world. They didn't have the the legal powers in their favor. They didn't have the religious entities supporting them and what they were going out to do. They were vulnerable. They were a sheep in the midst of wolves. But what we have in Isaiah 53, boys and girls, and all of us here, is negative. It's negative. Mankind is likened to sheep in a way that shows their folly, that sheep are apt to stray, and they are easily scattered. So, note with me, as we see the nature of them, that is true to everyone, doesn't matter who you are. We see first that sinners have the tendency of sheep. They have the tendencies of sheep. All we like sheep. We're like sheep that have gone astray. Gone astray. It's not very flattering. It's not intended to be, as much as we like to flatter ourselves or Or to receive flattering language from people, our tendency is to enjoy that kind of speech. Yet, when we do so, we're often measuring by a criteria that is not how God measures us. So we we measure one another in terms of academic ability or, or skills that we may have. We see someone who's able to perform something, we say, that's amazing, can't believe that someone is able to do that can't believe someone is able to to know all those things, or, or whatever it may be. We flatter ourselves. But in comparison to God, who, among anyone who's ever been born, has been able to create something wonderful out of nothing, because that's what God did. He made everything out of nothing, and He made it beautiful just by speaking it all into existence. And so when we compare our creative power against God's creative power, it really peels into almost <laughs> not very much, really. Now, I'm not taking away the dignity of man's creative abilities. Don't get me wrong. But in comparison to God's creative power, it really peels. And it's the same in terms of our knowledge. The man who knows the most in the entire world, what is that in comparison to all, the, all there is to be known? God knows it all. Even the brightest... Even the strongest mentally, even the most skilled in any area, is really nothing in comparison to the knowledge of God. So we may measure ourselves against ourselves, but in comparison to God, really, there's not much to flatter, to be honest. And what this text shows us is that which we find in our shorter catechism in verse or chapter, rather question 18, and the answer that is given. It says there, "Wherein consists the sinfulness?" Of that estate whereinto man fell. What's, what's the state? What, what has the fall done to us? And some of you boys and girls are learning the shorter catechism. Maybe you know question 18 and its answer. And we're told the sinfulness of that estate whereinto man fell consists in the guilt of Adam's first sin, the want of original righteousness, and the corruption of his whole nature which is commonly called original sin, together with all actual transgressions which proceed from it. Now, I'm not going to break down the answer to the Shorter Catechism, but if I can just be very blunt, the answer given is man is fallen, he is corrupt, and there's no escaping it. It's part of the fabric of his being. You can't break free from it. It's not something you fall into, it's something you're born with. And it descends, as it says here, that it's coming from the guilt of Adam's first sin and the want of original righteousness as a result of Adam's rebellion. And all of his posterity, that's all of us here, all of us have, are subject to the effect of what Adam did in rebelling against God. There's no escaping it. Some of the boys and girls here, you'll know the story of Elisha's servant, Gehazi. And you'll remember that occasion when in his folly he, he receives punishment from God. In the end of 2 Kings 5:27, the prophet says to his servant, The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. That text can be applied to what happened to Adam. That Adam before God rebels against God, and so the leprosy cleaves to Adam and to his seed forever. We have this disease. We have this sickness. We have it, as it's described here, in the form of sheep and their tendency to go astray. We have this tendency as well to go where we ought not to go, to rebel against God, to do that which is sin before Him. And there's no, as I say, there's no escaping it, right? Because every creature produces after his own kind. And all parents here, you, you have these wonderful little children born into your home, and I know the language of grandparents because I've witnessed it and heard it and had to, re- not rebuke it, but let's say check it. Oh, just a little angel. And I'm like, no. No, no, a fallen child, one who is a descendant from Adam. Of course, which I'm, I'm then counter-rebuked to uh, be quiet and stop being, <laughs> stop being that way. But it's true, you know, we, we look at it and we see just the innocence of, of the little infant, the little child. But it's not long before we realize that, that it doesn't stay that way. That appearance of innocence doesn't stay like that, and we become amazed at how naturally they rebel, how naturally they do that which is against what we want them to do, the expression of rebellion that they display so quickly. I mean, they are not one long before their first birthday. They are manifesting rebellion. Now, if you haven't been a parent, maybe you don't know that, but that's true. It's true. And this is why then, this is why we come to this time of the year, and it is amazing to ponder the Incarnation. Because without the Incarnation, we don't have salvation. Without the miracle of the Son of God born in this unique fashion by means of the Holy Ghost coming upon Mary, there, there, there's no salvation. If, he is, if, if our Savior is born in the same way we are born, there can be no salvation. There has to be a miracle. That's why we, we, we rejoice. I think it's right to spend some time considering it, and though it may be commercialized, and at times it may lose a sense of the, the, the significance of what's going on. Yet I don't think that should detract from the, 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 the validity of, of paying attention to the fact that God became man. There's a validity there. I mean, the Jews always you know, had that tendency to fall into... A kind of roped expression of their festivals and feasts and everything, and they could do it. They could do it, but, but their heart wasn't engaged in it. That was a problem. But but then, they weren't just to do away with the whole thing because they wrongly entered into it. And it's the same. We 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 do. We remember the incarnation, and there are all sorts of trappings about it that that bug me, and things about it that frustrate me, and things I would rather just see get rid of all this. What this is? This is just a distraction from the core issue. But there is a validity. There is a validity. There is something to focusing, considering, pondering, and express, expressing repeated thanksgiving that God took our nature. It's amazing. That's how He avoided being like us and being like sheep that go astray. This language of Isaiah is backed up in all all over the Scriptures. In Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Seems right to him. The sheep goes in a particular direction. It goes astray, but it doesn't believe it's going astray. The sheep doesn't believe it's doing anything wrong. It doesn't think about the danger and the precarious place it puts itself in. It's not thinking that way. It seems right. Maybe you've seen some of those videos at times of, <laughs> of... There was one not that long ago, a video that popped up and I saw where someone pulled the sheep out of a ditch, stuck there in a ditch, and they pulled the sheep out of the ditch and it proceeded to just jump right back in again right back where it was. <laughs> and it, what an illustration of man! That's what the Holy Spirit likens you to. So boys and girls, this is why, listen, this is why you're told something and sometimes you struggle to obey. You don't want to do what you're being asked to do. You don't. You want to do something else. You've all had that feeling. You've had, you've had that feeling, mom, dad, making a request and you don't want to obey that request. At least you don't want to do it right then and there in that moment. You have a problem with it. You feel there's some injustice in being asked right here at this point, I don't want to do this now. And you'd rather go astray. Well, that's just part of your nature. It's the way you are. Romans 3.12, they are all gone out of the way. That's humanity. All gone out of the way. So this goes back to our father Adam. We just can't get away from this. Nature is what we are. We have these characteristics because of Adam. And So Paul writes in Romans 5.19, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. By one man, Adam's Rebellion against God, we are all made to be like these sheep who go astray. But not only that, this tendency of sheep, but the defenselessness of sheep. I think that also can be considered. All we like sheep have gone astray. Because we go astray, we go in this way, and and this is bad for us. This is bad for us because we have no natural defense in going astray. There's no safety. There's no salvation. There's no deliverance. There's nothing for us. If we go astray, if we turn away from our Maker, if we rebel against our Creator, if we turn against our God, there's no place of safety for us. I remember a few years back when we were still living in Canada, there was some expression of concern because it appeared to be that the wolves were moving farther south, coming into places where people like to go on vacation. So, we lived in Calgary. For those that don't know the geography, it's just east of the Rocky Mountains. And so, depending on what side of the city you're on, an hour to 90 minutes, you're up in the mountains. You go to lovely places like Canmore and Banff and Lake Louise, and it's all up there. And in the summer, it's just heaving with people, even in the winter, many people go there. That was when we liked to go. It's quieter, fewer people, and the beautiful snow over the tops of those mountains and all the rest of it. But there are places where people camped up there. And increasingly there are being sightings of, of wolves. Now, now, bears are just part of it. You're given preparation for that. And you're you have certain things you, you should do, things that you should have on you, bear spray, and all the rest of it. And of course. We're talking like real big bears, not some of the small black bears you get in the mountains of North Carolina. We're talking about grizzlies and things that will make short work of a man. But you, so you prepared for that. But wolves are different. They pack. They're pack hunters. You don't want to be having to deal with hungry wolves. But in evidence of this, and part of why they were showing this was that someone had caught on their car, on their vehicle, their dash cam of, they're just driving down Highway 1 that cuts right across Canada and cuts through the mountains. They're, they're driving down Highway 1, going through the mountains, and this wolf is in pursuit of a little flock of, of mountain sheep and just gets hold of one of them, drags it across the road towards the grass. Two cars are there parked. It kind of gets a little um, scared off and goes away and leaves the sheep for a second, looks around, realizes... That no one's getting out of the car and comes back to the sheep who's just lying there. It's not dead yet. <laughs> it's just lying there. I mean, even, you look at it, you say, you could run. You could run right now. But it's not. It just, just lies there. And the wolf comes back, grabs it and just drags it, nice as you like, up into the trees, disappears. We're vulnerable. We're exactly like that sheep. It had no hope whatsoever. None. The whole thing happens in the space of 60 seconds. Running down the road, takes out the sheep, drags it up into the trees, gone. And that happens. That happens spiritually. The Bible warns us of this. It warns us of how we can be taken because Satan goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we are vulnerable. Very, very vulnerable. In fact, I don't know how acquainted you are with sheep and just trying to keep them alive, but even flies are a threat to sheep. Flies. One of the threats that farmers have with, with sheep every summer is the need to dip them to keep the flies away because the flies leave their, their eggs in the sheep and around their, their fleece, and then the maggots break out and they start feasting, they release toxins or whatever, and they start eating on the flesh and so on. The sheep basically are eaten alive very slowly. It's kind of a gross picture, but that's, that's what happens. So the farmers have to dip the sheep. They can't even defend themselves against a the fly. That sheep, that's how we're likened. We have no defense. No defense. We are vulnerable. And Satan comes in all of our vulnerability. Turn to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. See what the Bible says about our experience in this world. Ephesians 2. The Apostle Paul addressing the church. He's well aware of their past where they've come from. And he says in Ephesians 2, verse 1, You hath he, this is God, quickened, that's made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. When in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts. Of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature, note that, by nature, the children of wrath, even as others. This is our natural position. Without God, boys and girls, without salvation, without Jesus, this is where we are. By nature, we're children of wrath. We are led about, we are under the dominion of the prince of the power of the air. He has His way with us. There's nothing we can do. We have no natural defense ourselves. We are under His power. We, are, we succumb to His temptation. We are easy prey. Even believers are warned about the devil. Those who are saved. It's not like you get saved and then you, you don't have to worry about the devil ever. In this very book, you can turn to it, Ephesians 4. We're told in verse 26, Be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Which it appeared to me that the professing believer can give place to the devil. Gives place to the devil, allows the devil, and does not run for refuge in Christ. Instead, allows Satan to come. and He works upon our natural lusts. And again, as I've mentioned already, Peter warning. Again, Christians in 1 Peter 5 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So, so we have, boys and girls, by nature, without Jesus, without salvation, without going to him and seeking the Lord Jesus to, to wash us from our sins, we are aligned with Satan that seems harsh. You say, I'm not aligned with Satan. I don't want to be aligned with Satan. And it may not be as easy to see when you're young, when you're seven and eight and nine, ten. But as you grow older, you'll begin to see. If you're not in Jesus Christ, you'll begin to see your desire to align with the things that God hates. And you'll take side with the devil. And this is why the Lord Jesus warns us in Matthew twenty-five, forty-one. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. The people who are not in Christ, the people who are not saved, go to the same place Satan and the fallen angels go to because they align with it. They have lived their life with a certain allegiance to him. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. We don't want God's way. We don't want God's salvation. And so we have, we, we, we refuse to acknowledge that we're defenseless. We imagine that we're stronger than we are. We think we'll be fine without Jesus Christ, and we are deceived. Deceived. Which brings us then to consider the personal choice of sinners, not just the universal nature of, of sinners, the way they are in their nature, but their choice then, going back to Isaiah fifty three, you see that this nature shows in the way they live their lives. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We have turned every one to his own way. So there's a universal condition. All like we like sheep have gone astray. But then there's a peculiar way in which we manifest that condition. We don't all sin in the same way. We're not all interested in the same things. But what's uniform about is as we turn everyone to our own way. The Lord Jesus, you remember boys and girls, in John 3 with Nicodemus, Jesus there said in John 3, 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. In other words, that which is born into this world in a natural way shows itself to have all the natural tendencies of that. It's just flesh. And that's where he expressed, remember, you must be born again. You need life from above. You need need divine life. You need the Lord to come and save you. So in Romans 8, 8, Paul tells us, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Can't. It's impossible. Why? Because they're going to go their own way. They don't want God's way. As I've said, humanity in this collective way has turned from God, but we have this peculiar way in which we turn to our own way. Remember before the flood, boys and girls, in Genesis 6? Remember what God said when He looked down on the world? In Genesis 6 verse 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Only evil continually. This is how the world looked to God. Now, it didn't maybe look like that to those who were in the world. Everyone was just running around living their lives. They were just getting on with things, weren't they? They they would have their jobs. They would have their things to do. they get up in the morning and they have responsibilities. They have flocks to tend to. They have servants to order about and give them their jobs and duties. They had things to make, things to sell, bartering, all of that. Just going on with life. But God saw, God saw the wickedness of man. It was great in the earth. And he looks into their very mind and thought and he sees that it's only evil continually. And later on in Genesis 8, around the same time, after the flood has come and gone, God says, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now, <laughs> I want you to see that. I want you to see it because I am addressing boys and girls here. And you may think, well, pastor, I, 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 don't, I don't understand. I mean, I know there are things I don't do that I... I should do and things that I should do that I don't do and I know sometimes I disobey mom and dad but is it really is it really that bad? Am I really that bad? Again God says the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. From his youth. You don't have to wait to be a big sinner to be a sinner. You can be a little sinner. You can be a young sinner in rebelling against God. Do you understand? I hope, I hope you're following here. Because I want you to see why you have this problem. You, you, you struggle to obey. You struggle to, to do things that are right. And part of that struggle ties back to your nature and then your personal preference. And so there's a few things just to consider here in our personal choice. How we as sinners have desire our own way think first of all of the deception of our own way, the deception of our own way. We want it our way, right? We want it our way. Man wants things his way. He does. And this comes out in various ways. And You think of how the Lord Jesus addressed the issue. If I can ask this question, and you to think about the answer, why is it that divorce exists? Why? Because they asked, they asked Jesus that in his day. And Jesus answered in Matthew 19, 8, that. Pardon me, I think I've got the wrong reference here. The wrong text is before I've got Ephesians before me. But in that, well, I'll go to it. Let's go to Matthew. I know, I know it's there. Matthew 19. Maybe, maybe you need to see it so that you're not just hearing Matthew 19. So, so why, what we're showing here is that man wants his own way. doesn't want God's way. And you see it even in something as common, sadly, as divorce. So the Lord Jesus has taught about it. Verse 7 of Matthew 19. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement, and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Because of the hardness of your hearts, we have turned everyone to his own way. That's, that's our problem. We want our own way. We want what we want. We don't consider what God has said. We just want what we want. We have turned everyone to his own way. Now, go to back to Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4, I want us to look at a verse there, a couple of verses that are here, addressing this this deception, this deception, why is it that we're so easily deceived? Why do people crave the things that God never intended man to have? Why do they do things that God does not want man to do? Why do we go to our own way? Why Boys and girls, you need to know this because you need to understand yourself. Who am I? What is my nature? Why do I do the wrong thing? What does God say about me? Ephesians 4, verse 17. Read from there. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Just pause there. He's saying, don't live and do and speak like people outside the church. Don't. You're to be different. Walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Why? Why, Why do they have this, this, as described here, vanity of the mind? It's like worthlessness. Their their mind dwells on things that are worthless. The mind desires things that are worthless, craves things that are worthless, goes after things that are worthless. Why is it? Why is it that you call for a church gathering or worship or a prayer meeting, a few people turn up, but you're having a big sport event? Thousands are there. Thousands. Thousands. It's the vanity of the mind. Thousands are longing and craving for things that, in essence, have no real value. Now, I'm not diminishing and saying that there's no value in any sports. Don't misunderstand me. But, but you know, you know that you can have certain events. It is, it's always been a mystery to me that no preacher, no preacher... No preacher can ever seem, I don't care how gifted, how eloquent, no preacher gets the reach of a musician. Never. Musicians, even mediocre musicians within the Christian sphere, mediocre, can get thousands and make a living easily off of people who flock to hear and buy their music and so on. But ask them to listen to, listen to sprawl there. They can't be bothered. They're not interested. Go to, go to some great preacher and they, they, they don't have it. Now, now, the, now the sheep, don't get me wrong, those who are truly the sheep who hear his voice and they, they crave... They crave and long for Christ to be put before them. There's a difference there. I get it. But I'm just talking about the natural tendency of men. People who, who would never sit under a sermon will listen to Christian music. Thousands of people who have no spirituality about them will, will listen to Christian music. And they'll follow Christian artists and they'll, they'll elevate them for their abilities and so on. But you can't get them to listen to the preached word. They have no interest. And it's the vanity of the mind. It's an expression of the vanity of the mind. So, why is it then that we dwell on that which is empty? Well, verse eighteen, Ephesians four eighteen, having the understanding darkened, men can't see. They can't see. The understanding is darkened. It's like the whole way of thinking is is in this complete darkness. There's no light. They think they can see, but really they're groping around. They're imagining they know what's best for them, but they have no perception of what they're doing. And they're in this condition of ignorance. And boys and girls, without Jesus Christ, that's where we all are. I was the same. I was the same. As a young person, as a teenager, without the Lord Jesus Christ, I thought I knew what it was I wanted to do. I thought I knew what made myself happy. I thought I knew what would bring me joy in this life. And I gave myself to many things that I had great delight in it all and none of it nothing, nothing compared to a prayer meeting <laughs> being in the presence of God for a prayer meeting I, I, if I could just bottle and show you how I felt going from all the stuff the world has I mean literally one weekend being in all the places where the world goes and then the next being found in, among God's people and being in the place of prayer, I, I, I could, nothing I had ever experienced, no festival, no music event, could, could be equated to the feeling of communion with God. Couldn't. Now I, this is where you find myself drifting into the old Scottish saying, it's better felt than tilt, that you can't, you can't really express it, you can't, you can't. I can't explain this. But the understanding was darkened. These things seemed to have such value. All those places I went, where I invested my time and my money, all seemed to have such value. And then, and then it's like this flood of light came in. That My purpose as a man is to serve and glorify God. And I have access to God through Jesus Christ. My sins are forgiven. And I'm a child of God. So there's a great deception, the understanding darkened, look at it boys and girls, the understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God, that's it, they're living in a position of death, it doesn't feel that way, but until you're saved and you can make the comparison where you go, this is what it's like to have life, this is what it's like to know God, some of you, some of you listen, some of you, it's all in your head, I mean you know the right answers. You pay attention on Sunday school, you listen to mom and dad, you're very good. I you mean, you, you know a lot. You have, you have the Bible here. You have lots of the details are here. But, but the life of God, you haven't yet come into possession of the life of God. And this is why I'm trying to address you. I want you to have the life of God. I don't want you to stay in this position of ignorance, the understanding being darkened. I want you to have the life of God. Because it's not until you have the life of God, you'll begin to understand why this matters so much to mom and dad. And why the preacher seems to care so much, you won't get it until you come to feel for yourself the life of God in the soul. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, this is the way you were. Your understanding was darkened. You were alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that was in them because of the blindness of their heart. So that's a deception. We are easily going after the things of no value. We just don't get it. We don't see. We we don't see. So, I'm trying to think, was it Anselm? Was it Anselm said, I don't understand in order to believe. I believe in order to understand. That it's faith and our fellowship with God enables us to actually ascertain what life is all about, to make assessments. We don't first try to figure it all out. And then come to God. We come to God that we might grasp the truth and know why we're here. Not only the deception of our own way, but the crookedness of our own way. And just stay in Ephesians 4, because verse 19 shows the crookedness. Verse 19, who being past feeling, have given themselves over onto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now, I think we break that down into just very simple language that without Jesus Christ, without this life of God within us without knowing Jesus Christ that there is then this giving ourselves over to things that are unclean. Things that are unclean. Now some teenagers here, I need you to listen. There are things that are unclean. Things that are unclean. And it shows, it shows that you you need to be saved because you desire things that are unclean so you move toward that to work all uncleanness. You want to work uncleanness. So mom and dad are trying to show you, I hope, I hope I'm speaking right about you parents, because if this is not true of you, you need to be saved. Mom and dad trying to guide you along the right path and show you what is right. And you are trying to work uncleanness. Trying to do that which is unclean and impure. It's wrong. Where did you get that from? You didn't get it from Jesus. You didn't get it from his word. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. You've got it from yourself. And that's what verse 20 then says, ye have not so learned Christ. You didn't get that from him. We don't get that from him. When the prophet Jeremiah addressed the people of God, the covenant people in his time, in Jeremiah 14.10, it says there, Thus saith the Lord unto this people, thus have they loved to wander, they have not refrained their feet. They they, They love to wander. They love to wander. And that's not meant to be a good thing. They're, they want to go into places that they're not meant to go. So, there you are. Maybe maybe you're at the computer, boys and girls, young people. You're at the computer, you're at the iPad or whatever the device is, and there are things you want to see, things you want to do, and you know you're not meant to. Hopefully there are some ways that prevent you from going down that path, but maybe maybe you've already gone there before those you try to work way around to see what you want to do, what you want on this. This this is you. This is you. They love to wander. They want to wander. Want to drift from the right path, drift away from God. They have not refrained their feet. Therefore, the Lord doth not accept them. He will now remember their iniquity and visit their sins. That's what the prophet. By God's direction, declared to those people. And of course, you can't recover. You can't recover yourself. This is the thing. You can't, you can't recover yourself. You can't say, I'll turn over a new leaf. I'll try harder. You can't do it. Again, Jeremiah, this time chapter 50, verse 6. My people hath been lost sheep. My people hath been lost sheep. And it goes on to say, they have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. They have forgotten their resting place. They don't know how to find rest. That was Adam in the garden. In perfect communion with God. Enjoying all the privileges of being in a condition of perfection. And then he rebels. And he runs. And if God hadn't sought for him, he would never have found his way back. He would never have found the resting place. He would never have made his way back to God. He would have kept on running. Running from God. And that's what I don't want you to do. You boys and girls, I want you. I want you. In God's name, I I beg you to consider. You can't recover yourself. You can't save yourself. You're going to keep on running. You need to look to Jesus. Like Peter, when he was in the water. Remember Peter in the water? He was there walking in the water and all of a sudden he began to sink. What could he do? Could do nothing except Lord save me. Lord save me. That's what that's what you need to do tonight. You need to cry the same. I'm sinking in water, I can't do anything. Lord save me. And He will. He will. As he promises to do that. Finally, the incredible transaction for sinners. The incredible transaction. Because going back to Isaiah 53 and the sixth verse. We are told, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord hath laid on him. Who's the him? It's the servant of Jehovah. It's, it's the divine, divinely appointed servant that Isaiah speaks about repeatedly. And there are two things here. A divine transaction and a just transaction. The transaction is first divine. The Lord hath laid on him. The Lord hath laid on him. I didn't put my sins on Jesus. God put my sins on Jesus. I didn't, as it were, plan this all out. No man planned this all out. God planned this all out. God planned it all out so that by faith, when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Thou shalt be saved. And you're saved because of this, what we call a divine transaction. The Lord hath laid on him, laid on Jesus, the iniquity, the sins of us all. It's put all on him. This is divine. This is where God is weaving a plan. This is where Jesus is entering into the world. Yes, as a babe in a manger. Yes, he grows up as the son of the carpenter. He enters into his ministry and he obeys and he does everything the Father desires him to do and he sets his face as a flint to go to Jerusalem he desires to fulfill the Father's will which means the cross it means Calvary it means suffering it means the nails on his hands and his feet it means the nails, the spear on his side it means the crown of thorns it means all the lashing it means all the suffering all of that is part of the plan where the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all Jesus doesn't need another person to help him out. He is the son of God. He can bear it all himself. There is one mediator between God and man, The man Christ Jesus is just one, boys and girls. One. man and woman here. All of us. One. One mediator. Just one. Only one needed. Jesus Christ. And the Lord laid on him. God lays on him. The iniquity of us all. Takes in his omnipotent arms. Reaches round all the sins of all who will ever be in heaven and he lays them on Christ and the penalty that they require and he suffers in our place. So you see, you see this time of the year, you think about God sending a son, Jesus coming into the world. Galatians 4:4, 4, 4, God sent forth his son. Romans 8:3, God sending his son. 1 John 4:14, 4, God sent his son. It's this language, he sent, he sent, he sent, he's on a mission. He's on a mission. God plans to transfer, to place upon his son our guilt, the punishment for our sin. So that those who believe. Hear me now, you just believe. You say, "Can I know that Jesus died for me?" I say, "Yes. When will I know? You can know now. You can know right here. The word of God is clear. And it's a just transaction. It's not just a divine transaction, but it's just. And you could imply this, couldn't you? I mean, if God's doing it, it's going to be right. It's going to be the right thing to do. But I love the language, and we quote it frequently in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's it saying? He is faithful? That is, he can be depended upon, right? If we confess our sins, so boys and girls, all of us here, If we confess our sins, if we if we agree with God, that's what you need to do. You need to agree with God. Can you agree with God? Are you willing to agree with God? God says you're a sinner. You say, Okay, I know that. I agree. I agree. Good. That's one step. Then you confess it to him, as he asks you to do here. That's that's proof of your agreement. And then you can depend on Him. He is faithful. He is faithful and just. It's the right thing for God to do. Not just you depend on Him to do it, but it's the right thing for God to do. You say, it's the right thing for God to forgive me? I say, yes. Yes, that's what it says. It's the right thing. It's the just thing. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It's the right thing. But preacher, I've done certain things really bad. They're really bad. And no one really knows about them. But I think about it all the time. I wonder, can there be forgiveness for me? I say, what are you telling me? Have you out sinned the power of the cross? Have you? Do you think your sin is more mighty than the sacrifice of God's Son? Come on, think about it here. You think God didn't think of all the things that men are going to do? The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He knows. He knows. With detail that exceeds yours. He knows what you have done. You come to him. You confess your sins. He is faithful and just. It's the right thing. You can depend on him. That's the right thing. He will forgive your sin. Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Is that not good? That's good. That's good. That's good for boys and girls who struggle to obey mom and dad. Sometimes fight between one another. and you, That's mine, give it back. And you fight and squabble over who it belongs to and who has the right to use it and whose job it is. Who's. It's your turn to take out the garbage. And all the things we fight and squabble over and all the things that go on, boys and girls, and we, we show ourselves to be like sheep who have gone astray. And we turn each one to our own way. But the gospel's this. That child in Bethlehem, that one born was born to the intent that the Lord would lay on Him the iniquity of us all. So we ask the question like those on the day of Pentecost. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe. Seek the Lord. Call upon Him. God has written it in his word. You say, how can I be sure? It's right here. There's nowhere here, nowhere here, where you get to say, I don't think he can forgive me. Read it for yourself. Remember in Esther, boys and girls, remember Esther? There's a verse there in Esther 8, verse 8. The writing which is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's ring May no man reverse. It's written in the king's name. The promises to save sinners. The promise to save you is written in the king's name. It's sealed with the king's ring and no man can reverse it. He will save you. He will. So I encourage you, talk to your mom, to your dad. You're not saved. You speak to them. All we like sheep have gone astray. That's you. That's me. We have turned everyone to his own way. We want what we want. But if we get what we want for the rest of our lives, we will be in hell. Tonight, you choose to have what God wants. Which is, he doesn't delight in the destruction of any. He would have all. He would have all to be saved. As in, he invites all. Whosoever will may come. There is no limitation in the invitation. If you want salvation, it is yours. Whosoever will. Put your name right there. You mean if I will? If I come? Yes. Bye together in prayer. Let's reply before the Lord. Young people. We're almost at the end of another year. Some of you have sat under many sermons. And you will be held to account for what you have done with the sermons you have heard, including this one. If you're not saved, I I urge you, I urge you, in God's name, seek Seek the Lord. Don't be like a sheep. Don't keep going on. Going your own way. It's not going to end well. If you choose your own way, it will not end well. Don't you see? God has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. If I can be of help to you, please let me know whether it's tonight or maybe you have thoughts that arise through the week but please, please make sure you seek the Lord gracious God bless thy word thank you for each of the children here and the young people the teenagers we love them We want to see them grow into young adults and live their lives with the joy of the Lord. We want them to be satisfied with what the Lord Jesus promises and offers. We want them to live for your glory because this is the reason why we're here. Oh, God, the understanding is darkened. The ignorance that is in us, we cannot overcome ourselves. Spirit of God, I pray for your ministry in hearts now. Please, Holy Spirit, take what is true through stammering lips and enlighten hearts and minds to the salvation of the soul hear our prayers, bless our time together, our conversations before we part. May the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Spirit be with all the people of God now and evermore. Amen.